ride with me in my foul life. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Yukonupa. Every great hunter knows the best partners have four legs. Yukonupa is one of the only foods on the planet designed specifically with athletes like hunting dogs in mind. They are all about helping your hunting dog perform at their best. With over 50 years of experience, they've fine-tuned and crafted their recipes to meet the highest standards of each individual dog's needs. Here's what sets Yukonupa apart from the rest. Their commitment to sustainability and animal welfare. With every bag of Yukonupa pet food, you can feel confident knowing you're providing your hunting dog with optimal nutrition while supporting a company that prioritizes animal welfare and the environment. And as outdoorsmen, there's almost nothing more important. Don't let your hunting partner be held back by subpar nutrition. Give them the fuel they need to succeed with Yukonupa. Visit yukonupa.com to learn more. So do you do you have a a finger like on all the dogs in the kennel? Do you do you guys do analysis with your trainers when they all come back in? You as the owner and the founder, do you kind of have an idea of the level or is that all just based on your trust with your trainers and it's the, they keep that in their minds. You don't necessarily need to know where every dog in the kennel's at in their training sequence or their tr- you know the level of training they're at. You know, <clears throat> Lee's um, our manager and he he puts his eyes on all the dogs with all the trainers weekly uh, me being the owner um, and the manager um, I look at them a good bit um, I wouldn't say I look at every dog every day but over a two-week period I will have my eyes on every dog we do a lot of videos um, a lot of videos amongst we make videos for the owners but we do a lot of videos for ourselves for the other trainers, when one train—I mean, there's eight of us—so when one trainer's working on one thing, he might set up his phone, video it, and then we'll all look at it and send it in a group text. So, when you when you start thinking about specifics, do you ever find yourself interested in certain dogs more than others, to where you like pay more of attention as the owner? Like, is there any hot buttons that get you like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this dog because he might have it, or I got to keep an eye on this dog because she might not have it, and I might have to let the owner know. Like, how involved are you in that process? It's kind of crazy about like an athlete. You know, the the middle of the road dogs don't get their get our eyes as much as the weak dogs or the very talented dogs the d1 athlete of course everybody wants him wants to put their hands on him wants to spend more time with him and then the weak dogs protecting our brand and our product you know we got to spend extra time on that dog to make him work Um, the middle of the road dogs you know of course they're good we're going to make sure the brand is taken care of and they're they're good dogs but i would say those dogs if any of them don't get looked at as much as the others it would be those dogs because they're they're a good product they're going to be they're going to satisfy the customer they're going to satisfy our brand but the elite dogs you know everybody wants to look at those and take care of those and then the weak dogs we're worried that we're going to have a dissatisfied customer if we don't make him better where would axel fall in in those three areas you just described um between the top dog and the middle dog you know he's right there axel gets a lot of extra time um and the dynamic of axel's training regiment is tough for us because 
one minute we are training nothing for you and the camera and all the circus that you do to make sure he is not going to blow out of those blinds he's not going to come out of that layout blind he, he's not going to come out of those pit blinds um and then the very next day we have to get him ready for competition because he was his past record was really good in master akc really good in hrch um so to and right now he's working on srs so the dynamic of srs um, of him being a really good competition dog but when chad belding calls us and says hey september we're going for um to canada to duck hunt he has to be perfect at that if i if i mess that up then i failed so he has a harder training regiment than any dog on the property and a lot of them do that but um a lot of them are gun dogs hunting dogs plus the competition but with the cameras you you have a bigger circus than anybody else duck hunting um, when you are hunting so I, he has to be flawless no distractions can make him break or do anything off balance in the hunting environment yeah and he doesn't that's one thing he doesn't do i wanted him <clears throat> i wanted him better at that than at the competitions but he's great at both tell us the story of axel where where was he born mm-hmm. who are his mom and dad how do you say that in professional terms? The sire and the what? The dam. The dam. Mm-hmm. You don't use the B word. The sire and the <laughs> dam. Um, how old is he now? I know, like, obviously, I'm, I'm asking questions. I know the answers sure. to somewhat. But give us a, a background of why, when, we, when you and I first started talking back, shit, it's been a decade almost. Yep. Um, he, he turned seven in February. He, he did. Yep. So... Um, we had Mo. Mm-hmm. Mo was a, a, a machine. Like people, people like got upset in the last Yukonuba meetings. Not upset, but they there was a there was a potential print ad that said he's a machine on it. And some of the trainers in, in the meeting were like, they were too emotionally connected to these animals to call. I'm like, call them a machine. <laughs> they have met Mo. <laughs> they are a machine. Like they are amazing. They, yeah. what they can do. But anyway. Who is Axel? Where does he come from? And why did you pick him to be the foul life dog? Um, so Axel is out of a, a sire named Ranger um, and a dam named Chloe. Both of them were Grand Hunt and Retriever champions in um, the HRC world. They're amazing hunting dogs. They were both kept inside the house with their owners. We tried to line up the stars for Axel um, because of, with Mo, Mo is a exceptional dog, but he is more of your competition style dog. Around duck camp, Mo is a little high strung, um, sitting with four camera crew, four camera guys in the pit blinds and 20 head of shooters in there and a thousand decoys, Mo's just he, he he's going a thousand miles an hour in his head and axel what we tried to do and formulate basically um between mine and your conversations about what you needed was to get axel that perfect that perfect gun dog but he could compete and he did have a lot of talent and to get that is, is very tough and i picked the best two dogs one being Ranger and one being Chloe, Sire and Dam, that had both of those traits. Because there's a lot of great dogs out there that are field trial material but aren't good good gun dogs. And they're 
just like the very first dog I ever owned and ever trained was Bo. He couldn't pass a master hunter um, test to save his life, but he was the best gun dog in the world. Good around duck camp, good around people, in and, in and out of the house, vehicles, airplanes, everything like that. So what we wanted to do is get that on performance from one to 10. We wanted a 10 in performance, but we wanted a 10 around duck camp. And, to, and for Mossy Pond's customers, that's that gentleman's gun dog with talent it's what everybody dreams of but it's hard it's a unicorn it's hard to find that perfect dog that does that so with him just turning seven two months ago where is he at in his it's almost like you're describing the the best version of a dog if the owner is a diehard duck hunter but still has a lot of pride in that competition area and and keeping the fingers crossed that you get that good text or video from you or lee every weekend um, explain the dynamic of because you use the words the dynamic of SRS. Explain the dynamic of SRS. He's a he's a hunter retriever champion. Axel's a master hunter. Mm-hmm. What is the dynamic of Super Retriever Series? And at seven years old, does he still have a chance to perform? Is that is that is that a fifty year old baseball player in dog years? I guess that would be either thirty five or forty nine. Some yeah. people say five. Some people say a multiplier of seven. So. Either way, 35, you're in your prime in athletics. Mm-hmm. 49, you're retired. Mm-hmm. Where's he at? And then what, what is the dynamic of SRS? And does he have a chance? I think what they put the um, the multiplier by seven is how long they live, not their quality of performance. Um, the golden years, what I tell everybody, is six to nine years old. Um, the SRS is a very diverse game. It's extremely fun. Um awesome game because they have a series called hunt savvy that's like you and all your circus when you're guiding with your tv crews and everything um and anything could happen they can throw anything um you then you got your hrc style master hunt hunt test and that you have to be uh know the competitive concepts and then you have a field trial setup and the field trial setup is i mean it's definitely all competition you know there's not anything uh, the concepts of hunting is not in there you can wear a white jacket you can get up there it's the field trial part of it and then you have um you know a hybrid where they can throw all of it into a, a mix so the dog has to be good at all the games he has to be very diverse he he can he should be able to play and do everything so axel that's what we wanted out of him and of course the hunt savvy you know for your sake that's what he's the best at the field trials because we haven't worked many field trials with him that's would be his weakest part but he's in his golden years does he have most of our success um with srs are dogs eight and nine years old so um and you'll watch i mean there are some guys out there and and mossy pond our guys that will hit with a three and four and five year old dog but it is a very complex game and um, it's a tough game but it's a very fun game because it has all the elements of everything that we as trainers train these dogs to do so did i put axel at a disadvantage by always taking him out of training to go do what we wanted him to do like do you think in your professional opinion brad errington that he would be further advanced in the quote-unquote dynamic of srs than if he got to train 
the same amount of hours that a lot of those dogs are because he's gone from pretty much mid-September until March. You're talking about for a competition, 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's dogs in there that um, their whole goal for their owners, you know, they come and visit and might take them home on the weekend and may go to an occasional um, duck hunt or occasional dove shoot. But uh, basically 11 months out of the year, they're with me. And, of course, that dog's going to have a, a lot greater advantage than Axel. And, you know, leading up to your hunting season, we take all the competition elements out of his training, and we're solely just working on pit blinds, skid blinds, um, a bunch of decoys in the field, a bunch of um, even electronic calling, uh, mechanical decoys, all of that stuff, which you'll see some of that stuff in the SRS, but um, the concepts of that field trial dog in and out on water blinds, um, across points, by points, you know that that's not important for a for a good gun dog at, at what we want with that good gun dog is him to recover the game be a conservationist tool for us and get that game back to and recover it get back in the blind and get hid as fast as possible so of course i mean if axel was just solely a competition dog and you said brad you know from the time he's six weeks old when we picked him out until um six years old i want you to just focus on competition sure he would have he would have had a lot um more accolades um notched on his belt because of that but for me and for you i think his exposure and um what we needed out of him was the hunting side of it was just as important as the competition side so he has a a tougher a tougher training regiment than most well for that dog owner that wants that lifestyle that you just described from six weeks to six years old what are the benefits and advantages of that dog now what 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 is the mindset of a dog owner i'm going to get every title i can and that increases his value when they put him out to stud or put her out to dam i guess him out to sire is Mm -hmm. not a horse Mm -hmm. but is that what it is Is it just makes that dog more valuable because i'm kind of having a hard time like these these are hunting dogs like a lab is to go get a duck or a goose that's, right. that's what their best potential is in life so i feel like i'm fulfilling that for axel because when i see a lab that just lays on the couch or is in a kennel and they don't hunt i'm almost like mystified like no that dog's not living his best life or her that's best right. life not judging the owner but what is the advantage of an owner that has this six-year-old that hasn't got to hunt much but has all these titles why do they do that great question um and a lot of my customers come to me for different reasons and one of them won't understand the other one is just like your question here they don't hunt they don't they don't hunt like you and i every day all day what their fun is you and i are going to a um you know a duck hunt on friday saturday sunday they they love these competitions and and they're fun and their friends follow them kind of like travel baseball they go on the weekends they get to spend time with their dog they get to spend time with we have great relationships with our customers um they're actually more involved with their dog than you are um they come to stay at the lodge at mossy pond they train their dog where they can run an amateur stakes and um, run when on the weekends that we're not running them to get a qualification if they want to run um they they spend a lot of time with these dogs they spend every weekend with them with us at the field trials the hunt test the srs plus they come and train on the property a lot so their goal of that dog being in training for six years is a um you know a goal driven deal but it's because that's what they enjoy and and most of them 
some of them hunt, but most of the ones that are diehard competition, that is their fun. That is their, instead of hunting, that's what they do for fun. We love Nashville, Music City, USA, Broadway, Lower Broadway, Grand Old Opry, the Ryman, the Bridgestone Arena, the Predators playing, big time concerts, Midtown, Losers Bar and Grill. There, there's so many iconic places, but the place that we never miss is Scoreboard Nashville, Music Valley, right across the street from the unbelievable Gaylord Opry Center Resort and Hotel where the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention is every February. We can't wait for February of 2024 for another successful NWTF seeing all of our friends there. And we always started off with a kickoff party right at the Scoreboard Nashville. The hot chicken, the deck, the live music, the cold drinks, the bartenders, the service, the smiles, the story. We love being at the scoreboard. And now you can find the provider on the menu, the rubs, the new wing sauce, the right wing sauce. Thank you, scoreboard. Thank you to the Hobbs family. Thank you to Bobby Johnson. Thank you to Megan, the entire crew, the staff. They roll out the red carpet every time they see us, and they roll out the red carpet to every single one of their patrons that visits the scoreboard Nashville on a daily basis. So when you're in Nashville the next time, check them out. Go to the Grand Old Opry right across the street, and then end your night with a nice cold beer at the scoreboard and you might pick up and just listen to the band for another couple hours before you call it quits to go back to your whole hotel i promise you once you're there the energy hits you and you want to be at the scoreboard you want to stay at the scoreboard and you're going to want to return to the scoreboard thank you to the scoreboard for being a, a, a just a huge partner of everything we do here at the foul life tv the provider the foul life podcast where the pavement ends this life ain't for everybody 40 years the freedom freedom and anna v's american wing shooting podcast we couldn't do it without you visit the scoreboard next time you're in music city usa nashville tennessee let's talk about one of your clients that is a mutual friend of both of ours josh beckham from works for bandit and avery mm-hmm. talk to me about his dogs i want to get back to axel in a second but He's a hunter. Mm-hmm. Is he taking his dogs out for full seasons at a time? Because he's had some like legitimate success at the hunt test game and the SRS game. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel, I feel that he has. With what are who are his dogs? Don't need to give us the whole backstory on them. But what level dogs are they, and how did he get so lucky? What is Josh Beckham doing? Is he living right? Did he get lucky with the pick of a litter? What did what is Beckham doing to get these high power dogs? Because I assume he's hunting a lot a lot too. So you hit the nail on the head. He he is lucky, um, and a lot of people that know Josh have asked. He he. I told him when he got smooth. Now I sold him smooth, um, very similar to how Axel. It, that dog was built just for a gentleman's gun dog, and when we when we got smooth, we didn't realize he was that talented. But um, like you said, he has been extremely lucky. Um, smooth has achieved everything: um, Grand Hunt Retriever Champion, Master um, Hunter, Master National Hunter. He's um, placed in um, many many SRS, won an SRS, so. Um, and then, then he does hunt smooth a lot. He hunts smooth. Now he doesn't keep him as long as you do. Smooth is always with us throughout the year. Um, he goes home for the big portion of duck season. You know, sixty to ninety days. But he he is with us. You probably keep Axel five months, six months, um, and Josh probably keeps um, smooth two or three months. But um, and then then he got a female. Um, off of um, a really good breeding that I lined him up with that he wanted more built for performance than the gentleman's gun dog. 
and he got just as lucky with her. Her name was Fly, and he got offered uh, a, a good purchase price for her, and he actually sold Fly. And he took that money and is going to invest into a puppy that was bred exactly like Fly. And I told him, no one gets lucky twice, and he did. Um, but n no one definitely gets lucky three times, and he's gambling on this next pup and um, shows a lot of potential. So we're gonna we're gonna see how that goes. But smooth is smooth is a his male dog that is is his personal dog. Um, he's a different animal. He can shut it off around camp. He's great in the blinds. He's great um, hunting, but he is uh, a plus talented dog when it comes to competition as well so you're telling me that if i sat down with you after this podcast and said i want smooth i want a dog like smooth not trying to buy smooth yeah you can't guarantee it no it's, not, there's, not, there's some no, luck involved no not i mean we have some really nice breedings for our top customers that are trying to with all the science with all the um background with all the um, information and intel that we know about them trying to line the stars and make this happen and we'll have a litter and you have eight puppies and you might have one great one and three that are just okay and then the rest you know they're just basic gun dogs it's it's tough so when you say that beckham's gambling on this new puppy how did you guys pick that one out of that litter because i assume that a lot of them are good looking dogs I assume that you lined him up with another good breeding. Mm -hmm. How do you pick that puppy? How do you get in line for that? Being your reputation, your brand of Mossy Pond, Beckham's investing in this. He's spending some money on this. That's right. How do you pick that certain puppy? How, what do you look for? Well, we, we looked for a good breeding for his last female fly for a good two or three years, and um, we, we found her, and this was a repeat of that on, on his new pup. So... Um, more performance style breeding than Axel and Smooth, but the the dog was enough laid back that you could carry it hunting. That 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 fly female is extremely nice. Mr. Brian Franklin on her, owns her now, and she runs as a three year old in the SRS. Really, she hasn't hit yet, but um, she's knocking on the door. She does some really nice work. How do you represent Mossy Pond at SRS? Are, do you run yourself or is again is the trust factor all put into guys like lee and other trainers that you train we have a different dynamic um, with mossy pond than than most businesses most businesses the owner runs the dogs i ran really hard for a, a long time um, 15 years i was on the road 42 weekends a year and um, lee has been there with me since the beginning in 03 and he is our our manager now he he does run the dogs we have several other nationally ranked trainers that run up under lee carter turner is um running for um, team of the year right now he he has the first second and third place dog in the Who? country carter turner how old is carter turner carter turner um he apprenticed with me seven years ago our apprenticeship program um, there's no compensation for it it is basically like a college program Carter did that with me for 18 months, and then he became a trainer from for Mossy Pond. Worked his way up, and he is he is he works hard. He is focused on Mossy Pond, the brand, but he is focused on Carter Turner as well. And he is very driven. He's as driven as anybody I've ever seen come up in the game. Um, Carter's 
probably I don't know exactly uh, but I think Carter's around 28 30 years old and he's been with us since he was um, right out of you know right out of college and so there's a loyalty factor there that the apprenticeship he's a young man you're guiding him you're influencing him you're mentoring him mm-hmm. that's what a that's what a internship is you had Lee that started in 2003 that's still with you Lee's a different mentality I don't get his like I don't know how you can stay that laid back all the time I don't know if he's got an on switch or a temper I don't know I've never seen it but like just drinking he's drinking a seven up and I'm drinking a Jack Daniels and I'm like like it's just you get one one style it's just mm-hmm. one conversation the same kind of energy and I love him to death yep he is by far my my best friends always been there always back me back the brand and um how do you ensure that with somebody like carter though what goes through your mind if you just why would you mention carter on a podcast why would you brag up another trainer because i think that that's like the only way that another kennel starts is like brad's given me this ability and this platform to go out and be successful not taking anything away from Lee or Carter's talents. But how do, how do you ensure that? Does that weigh on your mind a lot? Like as this guy starts to grow his his own brand, because you just use the words, he concentrates on Carter, Turner, is, is it Turner? Mm-hmm. How do you do, how do, how do, as an entrepreneur and a businessman, how do you process that? I know you take good care of him. I know that he's been there since he was 15 or 18, whatever. Mm-hmm. But does it sit in the back of your mind like, oh shit, there's another kennel getting ready to <laughs> pop up somewhere? Well, we've we've had a lot of great trainers come through with us. Um, I probably six or seven great guys that have had tremendous success with us. Um, represented the brand exactly what I dreamed of. Did a great job while they were there and went out on their own. Some are still successful. Some have fallen off. But I th- I am trying, and Mossy Pond is building a brand, um, the Mossy Pond brand. So if it's Tom, Dick, or Harry running our dogs and the way that we do it and the way that our brand does it, they're going to be successful. Some of the There's some top-ranked guys in the country right now, and when they were with us, they had the best records they've ever had in their career when they worked for Mossy Pond. They're, they were, they're still successful now, but they had the best records when they were with us. And I think that is a result in our brand, Mossy Pond's brand, and you know i hope this doesn't come across arrogant but um i I think our brand is strong and the fear of them going out on their own as competitors if our brand stays strong i don't think they're they hurt us um we, we still have our mossy pond brand and no matter who's in there if they play by our rules and they work for us and they work hard and are producing results I understand they may want to better themselves and go out on their own. Um, and that's not a fear of ours at Mossy Pond. If I I tell you that I consider myself, I put Axel at a disadvantage every hunting season because I'm not as strong of a hound. Now, I'm way stronger today than I was two years ago. You made reference of me coming down and staying at the lodge. Need to do it more. How long would it take right now if I intern for you? to be in the running for team of the year again is there a lot of luck involved in that what carter's doing right now or could you get me there 
Can you teach an old dog new tricks? And could your program and your brand of Mossy Pond, how long would it take to get me to where you would feel good of, Chad, go out and represent Mossy Pond at SRS and run Axel this weekend? Well, I think the brand and our, our way of training is um, at the you know at the highest. We, we work hard for that brand, and that's why we have the results we have there. But to do what Carter Turner does, he, he's a different animal. He, I mean, he he's there at five o'clock every morning and is feeding up in air and at nine and ten every night. Goes on the road three days, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, forty-two weekends a year. It, it's a it's a different lifestyle, but um, that's what drives him. It's just like the cowboy that um, goes from rodeo to rodeo. He wants to be the best, and that's what drives him. I, uh, there, there's not a money figure that I could put on Carter to pay him enough to make him do what he does he does it because he wants to be the best in the country and right now in the srs he has the top three dogs wow um cappy smack and shooter and josh beckham owns all three of those too yeah right (laughs) (laughs) exactly but um so would it take me two would it take me two years would it take me 10 um, years i mean god mine and your age i don't know that we got the the horsepower to do how old are you um 39 you're not my age i'm nine (laughs) years older than you yeah so could i could i if i have the horsepower and you know my life i've traveled a lot but could i become a proficient handler with the mossy palm brand six or seven years six or seven years if you did i mean everything right basically lived it i mean six or seven years are you serious oh yeah wow so it takes the same amount to become a doctor Mm-hmm. Six or seven and you, years, and you would have to live it like a doctor does, or how you do, how you handle the foul life in your businesses. I mean, you would have to put everything else to the side, and including your family. I mean, it, it would take every ounce of energy, every ounce of everything that you do to do it. Because I mean, we have great competitors out there. There, there's guys out there across the country that we have to compete against, and they're they're just as hungry and just as just as knowledgeable, um, you know, as we are. Wow, six or seven years. Okay, so Axel, why, since he was four, people have always assumed he was four or five years older. You know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. How does, is it, I know it's genetics, but he had exceptional gray in his face at an early age. Is this just 100% because of the DNA? Or do these dogs get older faster with this lifestyle? Because Axel's not old. His energy is unreal. At just turning seven, he's in his prime. He's a freaking unbelievable duck dog and goose dog, dry land and water. I've, I am, again, a self-acclaimed below average, average handler. And I, I did some stuff this year that had people on their feet high-fiving and cussing and <laughs> holy sh... Like, I'm not kidding you. Like, it made me feel good. Like... What 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 happens to a dog? Do, just like when you see a twenty-four-year-old silver fox male in his in his mid-twenties with gray hair, or I went bald at twenty-four. Is it just genetics that they get that gray in their face, or is it the lifestyle and they do age faster with with this much competitiveness and this much drive? No, it's a hundred percent hereditary. I mean, Chloe, she was gray-faced at three. Um, that's his mom. And he was the same way, but the performance with Chloe was there until she was 10 years old, and I feel the same will be there for for Axel. Um, you know, some it's no different than some humans. They get gray, some get bald earlier than others, and um, but 
No. Um, far as performance, has nothing to do with his performance. He's just getting a little gray face. Well, I have a lot of competition dogs that are 9 and 10 years old, and you would swear they were 3-year-olds. Um, everything about them is beautiful. Look, looks um, looks great. I mean, especially on the, you know, on the the good dog food like Yukonuba that keeps them healthy, keeps them the energy, keeps their coat slick, keeps their teeth good. Um, when you have something and you feed them their whole life like that, and that'll keep them healthy, then you know they look they look great. I mean, we get bragged on with our dogs, and you know at Mossy Pond health comes before everything um taking care of our dogs and making sure they're they're happy they're healthy they look good they have the energy that they need but and then second is the training part but we get bragged on how our dogs look and act as older dogs more than more than anything we get complimented on our it's just like what you just said about axel he's gray-faced but you look at him i mean he's beautiful i mean he has the best coat in the world you pour water on his back it just beads off he has all the energy in the world his teeth are amazing i mean everything about him looks looks like a two-year-old he act, i mean look at him when when you when we flew in last night and you got to see him i mean he's bouncing off the walls this morning he has all the energy in the world so um a lot has to do with how you take care of nutrition and um but these dogs at nine and ten years old that have been in the kennel their whole life with competition dogs and their owners come out and train with us daily but they're training six and seven days a week including competitions they're healthy as a horse when you when you have a a kennel full of dogs going back to the beginning of our conversation brad errington when you have all of those different personalities um are they as distinct as human beings when it comes to a teacher in the front of the classroom and has to deal with Johnny could be a have ADD and Melissa might be shy and this guy might have a bad home life and this kid might be the best athlete and he's arrogant is you know like everybody there's there's all these different attitudes. It's like being an employer. You gotta you gotta treat everybody different. Um, with the with the mossy pond form of training. Do most dogs fall in line with the same personality, or do you have to treat some with gloves on? This one you can go a little bit harder with. How how do you decipher that? Or do dogs all have a different personality like humans do? Hundred percent, you know. And I, I tell my trainers all the time in our meetings and when we're out in the field that what what's the difference between a good trainer and a great trainer? Is a great trainer that can read the dog and know what he needs day in and day out because all of the dogs are different. Um, you know, a lot of trainers get caught into the trap, and I, I did it one time in my career where you go set up a setup in the field and you run 24 dogs on it the same way, this day in and day out, two and three times a day. And they get better, but they don't get great. Um, you, you, can't, you can't be um, on the top of your game that way. You have to cope and um, whatever that dog needs that's what you set up for him so you you might run two or three dogs on this setup and then two or three dogs you run on this on uh, this concept and then you you just move around and once you start doing that as a trainer you you watch how dogs go to a different caliber in a in a hurry but every dog is different you can't and it's just and that's what amazes just like what you just said amazes me with um the the teaching analogy you put 
uh, classroom of kids in there and you say the same thing as a professor or whatever to them and then you expect them to all learn it and understand it the same way um, I'm a visual learner in a classroom I, I struggled but you take me out and show me one time and I got it and that's just like with these dogs if we have to as trainers as coaches as teachers to teach them what they need and how what makes them tick that's what I tell my trainers what makes that dog tick and if it's not what Joe needs, you need to do something different with Blue. And once you learn that and once you start adapting to what they need, that's when you really start seeing the, the standard go through the roof. We cook a lot and we like our wild game to be legit. Our recipes mean a lot to us, out of the box, unorthodox thinking, that provider mentality. We eat what we harvest, we eat what we catch. I love the organic lifestyle and nutrition and diet. We literally eat wild game seven days a week in one meal, sometimes two and three meals. My daughter, Alyssa, loves eating wild game. My nephew, Chase, all of our family has grown up and still lives on the value of sustainability. And Napa Valley olive oil is there for us. The Particelli family are hunters. They're fishermen, they're outdoorsmen, they're gatherers, they're providers. They are old Italian heritage that loves the outdoors. And this product, Napa Valley Olive Oil, located in the wine country of Napa, St. Helena, California. It's an amazing place. The store is amazing. The salamis, the cheeses, the fresh Italian meats, the sodas, the pastas, all of the different anchovies to all of the paste, everything that you need to do to be a complete outdoor chef. And even if you're cooking domestically, Napa Valley olive oil is bottled old school style. My boy Jules is sitting on a milk crate filling bottles and then their family members are pasting the labels on these jars. They're beautiful jars. It's old school labeling. The brand is amazing. The flavor is amazing. The culture of Napa Valley olive oil, the friendship we have with Ray Ray and Dante and Jules and Stefano and the entire family, the entire Particelli clan means the world to us get online napavalleyoliveoil.com and order a bottle and then look what else they have you can't go wrong with the parmesan it is the best brick of parmesan cheese you will ever eat grate it over your salad your soups your meats your steaks pair it with some compound butter it's an amazing parmesan cheese the different flavored oils the garlic the lemon you name it they have it the vinegars it's napa valley olive oil we're proud to have them in all of our recipes at the foul life the foul life tv on the outdoor channel and the provider life look for more recipes at the providerlife.com get yourself a provider cookbook napa valley olive oil is all over it thank you to the part family and thank you all for supporting the brands that support us is today's level of veterinarian medicine Compared to humans again, the athletes today are on training programs that we would have never imagined when I was in high school. I'm jealous of these tra- – like if if I got to train like my nephew today, I really feel like I would have beat Barry Bonds on run record. I just feel that way. <laughs> the way they train, the specialized training, the travel ball clubs, the traveling teams, the – you know, it's the same with dogs. It's not like it was in the 70s. I mean, you guys are 42 weeks a year now at different competitions and different eyeballs on them and judging and the and the breeding and the food and the nutrition. The diets of these athletes in, in sports now, incredible. Is the level of veterinarian medicine 
advancing with these athletic dogs, meaning these dogs are not doing exactly what dogs are supposed to 20 do. years ago. Yeah. I mean, these dogs are high power. They mm-hmm. are going 42 weeks a year. Then they're in hunting season. And then they're retrieving 2,000 birds a year. They're in frigid cold water. They're, they're, they're machines, like I said in the beginning of this, which... I don't mean that in a, a, a non or an emotional way. Okay. I'm not mm. comparing your dog to a robot, but it's veterinary medicine kept up with the Joneses too, like on an ACL tear or on something that, that, that could be messing with that dog's stomach with all this training and all this duck water that he or she's in, in your opinion, Brad Arrington, has veterinary medicine kept up with these high powered dogs that you see on a daily basis. I would say so, and the the science and uh, just like the formulas with Yukonuba and the nutrition, I mean, without that, they wouldn't be healthy enough, feel good enough, um, you know, and have the energy to to. That's why they're better. That's just like the athletes are better because they feel better. They can do more without tearing their bodies down. So, hundred percent, I, I definitely believe so. Um, I, I definitely believe so, 100%. They, but if, if, if not, these dogs couldn't maintain the what we put them through. And I want the dog happy. I want the dog, when you go through there, his tail wagging, when you pull him off the truck for the fifth time that day, he's happy. If he's wore down like you and I, if we haven't ate properly and we didn't have the right nutrients to go out there and work, we don't want to have a third workout session today. And it, it, it stinks for us. It's not fun. And just like them, if they come off the truck and don't want to work, you know, they're not going to perform well. And then it's hard to get on to them and discipline them when they can't perform. So with, with like, like what you said, with the nutrition and the veterinarians staying up with the times, that's the only way they can keep up. That's the only way they can perform. But my point is, is... 90% of the dogs in this country, more than that, are not what you train. Okay, now I know that you train other dogs in obedience, so that's probably a premature statement. But this high caliber dog is a very minuscule part, if I had to guess. I mean, th- these people that are walking into PetSmart and Petco on a daily basis are buying pet food. Mm-hmm. Um, same with veterinarians. They're seeing 90, 90% of the animals they see are just pets. They're not the Michael Jordan of the yeah. of this pet circuit, right? I would say the same thing for us as humans as well, right? Most people are, most doctors are looking at overweight people that eat bad, don't exercise properly, don't get the right amount of sleep because our busy lives. And look at most people's pets. I walk in people's houses and you could put a Bible on a dog's back and he could walk around with it and not fall off. So that's what the veterinarian sees 90% of the time. But the, the 10%, athletic dog um they're special specialist um veterinarians for that for what we do um in our competition but just like what you said we train a lot of obedience dogs a lot of rottweilers chihuahuas jack russells beagles for obedience where they can be a pleasure in and around the house for people and we see the same thing and you know just like you know you roll your eyes at the doctor as soon as you walk in first thing he says you need to drink more water and lose weight well, same for these dogs. I mean, that beagle that comes in that's on a 20-pound frame, but he's 45 pounds, first thing I'm going to tell him I'm going to do is exercise him and get him where he feels good. But then you see his, after a month, his eyes are brighter. He, um, he, he, he wants to come out of the kennel and work and please. And even if it is on 
the the little parlor tricks of being the uh, obedient dog but um yeah um most veterinarians see what most doctors see they see people like myself that's 20 pounds overweight and doesn't um, sleep like he should doesn't eat like he should and doesn't work out like he should but um, we have plenty of um, specialist veterinarians that um, just look at the more athletic you know look at all your husky um, you know they have a huge um, athletics program like we do your labs your golden retrievers um, then you got your greyhounds um, which that's kind of phasing out but there's a lot of athletic dogs the the huskies the even the border collies that they have a lot of competitions with and then our competition so there's a lot of ath athletic dogs out there that um, they have to stay up to speed with us and we have to have them stay up to speed as well when you talk about a guy like carter in that age group do you feel you said you started this company in 2003 you're 39 20 years ago you're 19 years old mm -hmm. do you see that continuing trend right now in dogs and handlers and trainers of wanting to get in this game is there a good abundance or is everybody your age and older except for maybe the unusual exception like carter turner is this a young man's game anymore? Can I, can I, do you see it like transitioning from the, the older generation to a new slew coming in or are people intimidated by this world? Has it changed too much? Is it too difficult with the entry level to, to get into this? What is your thoughts on the next generation of trainers? Is there a good young class of boys and girls that are interested in doing what you did? You know, I think, um, you know, as far as a good gun dog trainer, there's a lot of great gun dog trainers across the country and a lot of good hunt test trainers across the country. And they still put in a bunch of time, a bunch of blood, sweat, and tears into these programs, and there's a lot of great programs out there. But to be elite, and I would put Carter in that 1% um, to do what he does, and the, I mean, this is, he's 18 months into basically a rookie 18 months ago of breaking out into competitions so to do what he does um 4 35 a.m every day 10 p.m he's with the dogs that much plus the whole weekends he's gone from coast to coast competing i mean a lot of people say oh they want to do it and i think there's a lot of people that want to get into the competitive style of um our our game but to really do what he does, mm, okay. Well, it what would about be, it, would, it would be hard for me to go back and do what he does. What What about just being a trainer for a someone? trainer? Yeah, sure. But, but what I'm saying is, you got to You have to still spend a lot of hours to become a good trainer. You just said oh, six sure. years. Um, or is this new generation of kids coming up? being raised with the work ethic to do what it does to be a dog trainer. Are there as many 20 year olds that are wanting to inquire about being a dog trainer? So we have, it's a lot of work. Yeah. We have 42 employees on site. Um, some are, um, bird boys, kennel help, um, vet techs, um, trainers, guides on our, um, hunting operation. Everybody wants to do what Carter does, but, um, I think the work ethic of the newer generation is a lot weaker than, definitely weaker than 50 years ago, but 
even 20 years ago when I was graduating high school, it's a lot weaker than then. So with having that many employees, we go through a lot of young help. We go through a lot of kids that come out there, look the part, act the part, yes, sir, no, sir, and come out of the gate. Me and my wife laugh about the nine-month rule. Everybody does great for nine months. But to really hump it like we do, I mean, I, I make a joke with all of them. If we, if we get paid by the hour at Mossy Pond, we'd all make less than a buck an hour. We do it because we're passionate about hunting, we're passionate about dogs, we're passionate about puppies, and passionate about the outdoors. But to put in the blood, sweat, and tears that Carter does, I don't. I would be scared to find five more in my lifetime. If I if I run with the business till I'm 80 years old, if I found two or three more, I would be a lucky man. And um, you know, I hope Carter stays with us for 40 more years but if he decided he wanted to go out and make a business of his own i would respect that and he's done a great job by me and by my brand while he's been here and um we do have some young guys that we're grooming and they're coming up and they do great young dog work right now so if somebody would fill that role do they do i think that they would feel it like carter turner i doubt they will have you seen a difference in carter's attitude does he carry more pressure and stress these days with with being in having the top three teams team of the year for srs being a protege of yourself and lee howard do you do you see ego play a role when somebody gets to these levels in dog trainer because i've been around some dog trainers in the last 60 days that i i couldn't understand their i couldn't understand the ego like i i, I wanted to say something but i don't <laughs> but do, do you see a lot of ego in this in this game like do you ha- i know you have to be confident but does does Carter all of a sudden get bigger than his britches? Do you see that a lot in dog training? Some do, and I, you know, I, I try to, I try to work on being humble every day, and I, I coach all my guys on being humble. And I think this is why we have we work for a lot of successful people, doctors, lawyers, business owners, and when they come out, they pull up in their nice vehicle and they step out. You can see that he's a accomplished guy accomplished lady um they're very intelligent and then within one hour they're sitting there with their mouth open asking us all these questions and i think a lot of dog trainers and you know um when i was a younger man i think sometimes i would fall into the trap of i'd be answering all kind of questions before i knew it they'd ask about a lawnmower and i'd be telling them the answer to a lawnmower because when you have successful people like that come in and they're asking everything in the world i mean what to what we think of as crazy questions because you know we're just used to that question every day and that's what we do then i think a lot of people in in our game get that ego and think that they're they know more than what they do and it's hard to stay humble so um, we pride ourselves on staying humble um, with our brand. I don't think anybody would argue that our brand and our team and our guys that are out there on the road um, representing us are overly confident. I mean, overly cocky, but they are confident. Um, Carter Turner is extremely confident. And your your question you asked, does, does he worry? Um, what I would coach him on is Michael Jordan never worried about him missing the game-winning shot. He was he was thinking about hitting the game-winning shot, and he that, wanted the ball. That's right, and that's that's what I that's what I tell that's what I coach my guys on. Hey, you're gonna fail. You're gonna fail. If 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 you're gonna be good, you're gonna fail. So just accept it and move on and be okay with it. 
but you got to have the ball to be successful and the guys that just push it to the side and they're scared of that opportunity because of failing they'll never succeed how do you how do you justify the the use of a dog meaning if i refer to a dog as a machine do you think that even though these dogs have been bred to do what they're doing and i feel they're living their best life do we stress out the dog too much with this lifestyle of being on a trailer 42 weekends a year he don't know how demanding these hunt tests are he's just out there having fun or she's just out there but do we ask too much of these dogs or would they not want it any other way do we you see these parents in coat you've been around Mm -hmm. youth athletics you've been around those parents that you're just like good gosh yeah. chill out right, like, exactly. your kid's not that good that's right <laughs> i don't care what you think he's not going to be barry bonds or that's babe ruth right. chill that's right maybe he will mature but i've seen parents that just take it too far are we asking too much of these dogs to go this hard or would we be putting them at a disadvantage of not doing it you know and that's just like what i what i said earlier in the conversation is reading these dogs knowing what makes them tick knowing what they like you know, first part is the health, because even though the dog that's just crazy about retrieving and crazy about working for you, I mean, it, he'll, he'll overdo it. So we have to watch their health as humans because they're not smart enough to know that part. Now, as far as what they want and is their mental capacity able to handle it and do they want to go out and work every day, you got to be a great trainer and read the dog. And if you can't do that, you're not doing the dog justice. So is that abused? in in our profession a lot um you know the better trainers know the difference in um, when that dog needs needs to train and when he needs to work um my mentor hugh arthur in the first couple years that he um, was working with me there were some dogs we'd work four and five times a day and there was a great chocolate dog that um i won back-to-back um cues with up in virginia one time his name's dutch and um, it's a great dog, but you know I was working him, and everything I've done in my life, if I just outwork everybody, I'll be successful. Well, that's the same way I felt about Dutch, and um, you know this was 13 years ago. And I was working Dutch, and Mr. Hugh told me he said, "You can leave Dutch on the truck today." And I said, "Sir," he said, "Just get him out. We'll tie him out, let him watch, let him lay out in the sun and stretch his legs." And, um, and I said, "Whatever you say." And we did that for about two months and worked in about three days a week. That's all he got. Hung out in the errand yard, did the normal regiment, you know, and um, we kept him out of um, the field trials. That was when I was running field trials. We kept him out of the field trials for about six, eight weeks. And he said, all right, he's ready. I said, we haven't worked him very hard. He said, just trust me. This is what I'm teaching you, how to read the dog. He said, um, enter him in that double header up in Virginia. And um, he went and hit hit both of them. I think he might have got second one of them, first and second, but he, he got QA2 in one weekend. So uh, wow. you just got to – and that was a big part of my education in in training dogs when Mr. Hugh – I'll never forget that the day I die. I mean, Dutch working him every day, all day, five and six times. Now, there were several dogs that were hitting on that same truck with Dutch that I was working five and six times a day. But for Dutch, and it wasn't a health um, deal, it was just his mental capacity. He didn't want to work that much. And um, 
it made him happier when he didn't work as much and more successful and this is al arthur's dad yes sir and he read it like that he knew that that dog he could just see that what was ticking yes sir he he could amazing trainer of course uh, um in the hall of fame and um won more field trials than anybody um counting derbies cues and opens but um i think the world of him but what i think he was the best at a lot of people got great training programs but he could read the dog so fast he could he could i mean it could be one of our obedience dogs up there a rottweiler he could walk around and watch him for me for a minute we couldn't get him to lay down or we couldn't get him to place or we could and he could read what what that dog needed in maybe a session maybe two sessions and have him doing it um he, he knew by their by their expression by their look on their face what they needed what they what would make them better and it was amazing it was a gift from god for sure when you when you think back of the beginning stages of the brand mossy pond and where it is today do you think that the future of the brand is in how many dogs you get qualified and passing hunt tests all of these field trials do you put as much weight in that as you do in just that customer coming in and being happy with what he was what's the future of dog training is it these competitions are they getting more and more popular i've heard rumors that like some of these some of these events there's too many entrants for them to even allow like they're way like they're you got to get in there so early to even get a place now because these competitions have become and these tests have become so popular is that the future of sporting dog are we breeding the ultimate dog for their sperm to be worth a lot of money or their litters to be worth a lot of money or do we still care about that time in the field it meaning are we just are we going to get that out of our head that we don't have to have the highly trained Yvonne Dragos of Rocky Four, if you know that analogy? Mm-hmm. Is that the future of dogs? Is that because that's where horses went? Horses went from just being out west and getting western and riding the trails and the Chisholm Trail and 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 you know Lewis and Clark and everything. The history of the horse is now it's like geez, it's like a multi million dollar business. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a long winded way of asking are is sporting dogs going the way of horses because white-tailed dirt deer sure did now it's high fence mm-hmm. and sperm and yeah. injections and planting and does and herd management is this the future of dogs now to where it's not just curly cuddled up on the end of the couch watching tv and then going hunting ducks once in a while is the future of dogs these high-powered really expensive are dogs going to be ten thousand dollars to buy pretty soon I think that's as um, far as what we do at Mossy Pond, there's basically about five different categories. And I, I think that that is um, one of our categories. And there for a little while when I was running field trials so hard and competition so hard that we got the reputation that we didn't do anything but what you just said. And that's, that's not the case at all. You know, our, our business is very diverse in our training programs. You know, our, we have an obedience program. Then we have a basic gun dog program. Then we have an advanced gun dog program. And then we have um, a competition style training. And is that competition style training for the owner or is that for the elite? Are we trying to, are we gonna campaign them for you and make them the best they can be? Um, But as far as a whole across the country, I think that's a very, very small percentage of what you're describing 
um, in in what we do. I think that's less than a couple percent probably, because I want that a that lady that has that Rottweiler that's too big for her when she goes out for a walk or that Great Dane. I want my satisfaction and I take just as much pride into that dog when she's walking down um you know main street at, with that dog on heel she walks by another person with another dog and her leash is slack the dog's perfect she tells it to sit or lay down and it does it perfect on the perfect command that makes her happy if it comes up to a kid she can tell it down where the kid can pet it and then going into the gun dog, somebody that takes their dog out dove hunting four and five times a year but um, wants them obedient around the house. They go out there with their buddies on their four or five dove shoots, and they pick up their 15 dove, bring them back, deliver all to hand. But then around camp that night, the dog's sitting there where everybody can love on it and tell hunting stories, and the, the dog's not aggravating everybody at the dinner table. And then flows right into the advanced gun dog like what, you have the hybrid of kind of like Axel, the advanced gun dog, plus the competition dog. And then the next category is nothing but um, a, basically a racehorse. And, um, you know, I think that's a small percentage. But, you know, every one of those categories is equally important to us at Mossy Pond. I mean, now don't get me wrong, the competition trainers like Carter, they love that. They love the competition. They're, they're like that racehorse um, trainer. They want to be the best, and you know that gets a little bit more publicized than the the lady walking down Main Street with her Great Dane, because not many people see that or hear about that. But that's just as big of a part of it. And there are 90% more trainers that do obedience gun dog work than the elite competition dogs. And the elite competition dogs, because what our conversation was about earlier, not many people want to put in that amount of work. You're right, because obviously safety is always first. So I was talking to you about an incident that happened during the season with a truck that Axel was in the back of the truck with my other dog, Duff, and they're in their kennels. And the first thing that I thought of was you got to get the dogs out. But usually, you know, a lot of people would have their dogs out running around, setting up decoys. Well, I'm really anal. (laughs) I don't want an accident. I don't want to run away in the dark. I don't want a four-wheeler to get them. I don't want anything. So I just leave them there in the kennel locked up but i can take axel out of his kennel let's say we're at a truck stop in on i-80 around wichita kansas there could be big rigs coming in and out there could be cars zooming in and out and obviously i'm safety first but i could take this dog with no leash and no collar and not have a problem That's the confidence I have. If I want to walk him from this gas pump over to that airing park right there, a lot of these truck stops Mm -hmm. have now, heel, sit. And and people are like, where's the leash? I mean, even guys on my team have been like, hey, don't forget the leash. And I'm like, I'm just going to try. Again, I'm very savvy of it. I'm very, I'm watching everything. I'm focused. But I'm telling you, Brad, like he, like I'm sure... I could go to the I could go to the Atlanta Atlanta airport where you flew out. No, you flew out of Savannah, but Atlanta's the busiest airport in the world. Mm-hmm. That dog could have the smells of an airport. The, all the people in the airport, same thing. Yeah. You don't need a leash now. I know legally you have to have one. Safety, it's better. I'm, I just have never seen anything like it. That's why I say these dogs are not different. They are machines. I could yeah, love him. I could. I woke up cuddling and spooning Axel this morning. The same position that we fell asleep in. 
Okay. That mm-hmm. sounds weird, but it's true. Yep. Like he's just that he's got that switch, but man, I've never seen anything of that control. Like you can literally just count on him to be in control. That, I'm not trying. I don't want people to take this away of like, Oh, that's smart to do because anything can happen. Okay. You don't want him to just take off and be like, Oh, yeah. there's a bird and start chasing it Definitely. and run out into a road, which then that's the whole conversation of caller training and caller conditioning and, and being able to use that remote to do what it's meant to do. But talk to me about that. Like this dog is different level. And I know a lot of dogs that come out of Mossy Pond Kennel is, but it's a joy to see in the confidence that it gives the owner and the handler. We get more great feedback and more referral by word of mouth because of what you just described more so than the competition dog. More so than the competition I mean, if we're in the competition, we're supposed to be good, right? But um, when the average Joe walks down the road or he goes to a duck hunter to a dove shoot and his dog is just very obedient, does what he's supposed to, one word, the guy's not yelling, that's when we get that call from his buddy or from his relative says, hey, um, Mr. Frank showed me um, the dog. We watched him in the field the other day. We want something like that. That's that's probably our bread and butter, and that's what that gentleman's gun dog or that that gentleman's pet around the house and exactly what you said that's that's our bread and butter and um but it's it's important to us as trainers to have that dog when they say it what and we train we train the kids we train the wives we train everybody in the family so if anybody speaks to the dog the dog will listen with a wagon tail and that that's the other thing you know anybody can i mean you could go out there and you know make a dog do it we want the dog to want to do it for for the human and for his owners or for whoever's working him or the handler at that time we want a wagon tail bright eyes ears up um you say sit okay yes sir i want to sit i want to sit for you because you're going to give me that reward you're going to give me that pat on the head you're going to tell me a good boy you don't want that dog oh crap i gotta do this and when you have that style of obedience just like you can relate to with axel and that level of obedience with a great attitude, that's what everybody loves to see because everybody's an animal lover, right? I mean, hardly anybody's not an animal lover and doesn't love looking, petting, and seeing dogs. But when you see a happy dog, but he's obedient at the same time, he doesn't appear to be a machine like what you say. He does it. He does it right, does it with bright eyes, does it with his ears up, tail wagging. Um, and when, when you see it, done that way and it's a happy dog but he's doing it like he's supposed to everybody wants their dog trained like that if you don't you, you're fooling yourself let's finish on axel he's gotten more standing ovations than i ever did for blowing a duck call or a goose call he's gotten more standing ovations than i've ever gotten for being a good shotgunner not saying i've ever deserved any of it but i've never seen standing ovations in a duck blind like i have with axel or and i've been on a lot of hunts with other great dogs like mo mm-hmm didn't get to hunt with Mo as much, but Axel gets a lot of standing O's. Mm-hmm. He's the star of the show. That's right. Plus, he's a joy to be around. Plus, he's handsome as hell, like Anna V says. Like, that is, even with his gray, he's handsome. Photogenic, yep. Where do we go from here to end this conversation on part one with Brad Arrington of the great Mossy Pond Kennel in South Georgia? Where do we go from here if Chad Belding says, you're crystal ball, Brad. He's seven, just turned seven. Can we get him an SRS can we get him? I'm not saying he's got to be champion or team of the year, but can we get him a cue? Can we get him to hit? And can we get him a pass? In your crystal ball, does this dog have what it takes to get some of the – because he's already a master hunter. He's already a, a hunter retriever champion. And 
he is a freaking unbelievable mm-hmm. duck dog that's and right. pet and that's friend. Right. That's right. Like this is not a dog that you're going to ever want to see go. What's your crystal ball tell me, telling you, telling you, and what can you tell me where Axel goes from here in the competition world? You know, um, his dynamic, like I've told you, is, is tough because he has to do what we want him to do, and he's he is a D1 athlete. He is a, a major league ball player in the world that we wanted him to be in, and that's to perform on the TV show with the camera crews, with everything going on that you have going on. Be great at camp when you're in camp, cooking and doing your um, filming on that. He, he does that perfect. That's what we wanted, and he does it. As far as the competition, you know, everything with the dynamic that how he has to do it I, has been stellar. Um, you know, I definitely want him in duck camp starting in September with you, wherever you're at, all the way through March. So that that is definitely going to happen. Um, he has half of the season where all these other dogs have a full season. Um, he will run the fall grand with us this year with Carter Turner. Um, I, I would I would put a very high chance of him getting a um, getting a pass this year. And um, as far as the SRS, he's made it to the semifinals once or twice. I do think that there's a possibility, but with him being out six months out of the year and those six months he's concentrating on no training concepts but just recovering our game, getting it back to you and minding you and keeping a great attitude and spending life on the road, it does make it tougher for him than the next day. Always remember this, though, Brad Arrington, that six months out of the year this man would hit home runs and steal bases, become the all-star MVP, come all-star in the American League. And then the other six months, without skipping a beat, he would take the pigskin and run over Brian Bosworth. I'm speaking about the great Bo Jackson. Yeah, you're talking about Axel you, is the Bo Jackson of dogs. You're talking about a unicorn. You just described, yes, you just <laughs> described Axel. He's taking that ball and running, even yeah, though he sure. hasn't touched it in six mm-hmm. months. It would, so his you, next three years are going to be his glory years. He is as good as he's ever been in any element of his game. Um, and he has three more years to do it and three more years. And you just went on record of saying that he will run the – Fall what, Grand. He'll run the Fall Grand with Carter. That's correct. Is he training with Carter? Yes, sir. Does Carter like him? Yes, sir. Okay. So I would assume now that you said that, we're going to end this conversation part one again with the great Brad Arrington and Mossy Pond Retrievers here at Yukonuba Duck Dogs, a series of the Foul Life podcast. This has been a great conversation, but I will not get Axel back in September then. You just lied to me in a way, and a Southern gentleman doesn't lie. <laughs> Isn't the fall grand in October? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. He, or, he runs it, but just like last year, you hunted him, and then we got him back. So um, I don't think we should do that this year. I say... But he's going to miss New York Goose. I need that on record, what you just said. Okay. He's <laughs> I need gonna, that he's gonna, on record that gonna, I get to keep him. He's going to miss New York Goose. Yep. But then after the the grand. The grand, then you'll get him. So that – maybe this is I what need, we do. I need this recording. We need – okay, it's, our, it's right there. <laughs> maybe what we look at is, depending on the date of the grand – you fly him from the Grand with you to because we're going to be in Canada. We're get to go back to Canada now. You don't need the vaccination anymore. I get to go back to Canada this year, so I'm putting together the trip right now for October, early October. So you're through- going to fly us both up where I can teach you and give you a lesson instead of in dog training some shotgunning skills. I don't have a jet, but yes, your wife Ellen will book a ticket, <laughs> put it on that Black American Express Mossy Pond card with no limit. <laughs> yeah, right. But I'm thinking that that would be a good kickoff to the season after he gets his pass. 
That would be awesome. It's He'd love it, and I'd sure love it. Canada ducks and geese, and I haven't been. I have not been. To, I can't believe I'm getting ready to say this. I have not hunted Three Canada years. since 2019. Yeah. Because in March of 2020, the pandemic hits. Yep. They cancel it, and then in 2021 and 2022, 21 it was closed. I was, I was with you. 20, 21, it was closed. 22, yeah, you were with me 19 with Axel. Yep, yep. 22, you couldn't go because of the mandate of the vaccination. Mm-hmm. And now they just dropped that. And now in 23, we get to go back up. This is going to be weird. This is going to be awesome. Like, I haven't seen ducks in Canada. I, I didn't miss one year from 2000 to 2019. And we guy had to quit going to Canada. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. We didn't get to go hunt in Canada. I mean, you did if you mm-hmm. played by their quote-unquote rules. But now Axel could, could celebrate a grand pass mm-hmm. and he he still has three srs that he's going to run this season as well and we'll celebrate that too in canada yeah, that's yeah. brad errington mossy pond we're out here at live in studio you can but duck dogs we're getting ready to go film some tips that you will see brad master on episodes of season 15 and season 16 can you imagine that brad's i think you were on season seven mm-hmm. when i was looking back the other day season six maybe but season 16 of Benelli's The Foul Life. We're getting ready to hit the road and start filming in September. And don't forget, June 29th, we will start airing brand new episodes, and you'll get to see this dog we call Axel, named after the great Bill Bailey, a.k.a. Axel Rose. You know that um, Axel's... Do you know his name on his birth certificate? His his the, his registrations? I'd bandits probably, probably bandits Axel Rose. That's right. Um, the best lead singer of all time. Anyway, you'll get to see Axel in action on brand new episodes of season 15 of Benelli's The Foul Life, premiering January 29th, only exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. We got some awesome, awesome locations and people we hunted with. Can't wait to bring you part two with Brad Arrington coming up here next at the Foul Life Podcast, You Can Do But Duck Dog series. Right now, we're getting ready to go eat goose and pork taco bar. I mean, you heard Brad say he was 20 pounds overweight. Plan on that 23 (laughs) after lunch. 23 pounds. Thank you, Brad. Thank you.